So, friends, you'll know that we normally have two Bible readings, uh, an, an Old Testament and a New Testament reading. Um, so for our Old Testament readings this term, we're going to be continuing to read the book of First Samuel, which tells us about what happened around a thousand years before Jesus was born. So over the last couple of years, uh, we've been reading chapters 1 to 20, okay? So today we'll keep reading from chapter, chapter 21. And each week, the Bible reader for the Old Testament will, can, will give us a little summary of what came before, and it's to help us to, give, help us to follow the storyline um, so far. So today's summary will be a bit longer. Uh, it's really helped us to, to get up to speed with what's happened so far, and uh, Emma's going to be doing that this morning. Thanks, Emma. Good morning, everyone. I'm Emma, if you don't know me. Um, The first Bible reading today is going to be from 1 Samuel chapter 21, uh, starting at verse 1, which is on page 231. But um, for the summary so far, um, the people of Israel were having trouble, trouble driving the Philistines out of the land God had given them. So they asked God to give them a human king. They thought that that this would fix the problem. But the real problem was that they kept turning away from God. God gave them the kind of king they wanted, and he was a disaster. King Saul rejected God, and so God God rejected him as king. The prophet Samuel announced that Saul's kingdom would not last, and he anointed a young man called David as God's future chosen king. David rescued Israel from the Philistine warrior Goliath and became very close to Saul's son Jonathan. But Saul became paranoid and jealous of David and tried to kill him. So by chapter 21, David is on the run. Chapter 21, starting at verse 1. David went to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. Ahimelech trembled when he met him and asked, Why are you alone? Why is no one with you? David answered Ahimelech the priest, The king sent me on a mission and said to me, No one is to know anything about the mission I am sending you on. As for my men, I have told them to meet me at a certain place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever you can find. But the priest answered David, I don't have any ordinary bread on hand. However, there is some consecrated bread here, provided the men have kept themselves from women. David replied, Indeed, women have been kept from us, as usual usual whenever I set out. The men's bodies are holy, even on missions that are not holy. How much more so today? So the priest gave him the consecrated bread, since there was no bread there except the bread of the presence that had been removed from before the Lord and replaced by hot bread on the day it was taken away. Now one of Saul's servants was there that day, detained before the Lord. He was Doeg the Edomite, Saul's chief shepherd. David asked Ahimelech, Don't you have a spear or sword here? I haven't brought my sword or any other weapon, because the king's mission was urgent. The priest replied, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, is here. It is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you want it, take it. There is no sword here but that one. David said, there is none like it. Give it to me. Good morning, everyone. My name is Rebecca. Our second Bible reading today is from the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 1. 2 Corinthians, chapter 1, and we'll be reading from verse 1 to 11. It's on page 935. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, 
to the church of God in Corinth, together with all his holy people throughout Achaia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us, as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favour granted us in answer to the prayers of many. One, two, three. One, two, three. Yep, that sounds about right. It's great to see everyone again. My name's Vincent, if you've never met me. Um, let's pray as we start. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the God of comfort. And today, as we hear from your word, as we start looking at the letter of 2 Corinthians, help us to see life uh, through the cross of Christ Jesus. And we ask this in the name of Christ himself. Amen. Uh, well, have you ever had that experience as you follow Jesus and you live your life as a disciple, that sometimes life can feel a little bit like it's upside down. That as you look around the world and the way that you're living, it feels like, am I really living the right way up? How come it feels so different? I once heard of an illustration. The person said, imagine that you're invited to a fancy dress party. I don't know when was the last time that you were invited to a fancy dress party, but I always get nervous. You know, how, how much do I dress up for this fancy dress party? All the way or just a little bit? Well, imagine this time you decide to yourself, I'm going to go all the way. <laughs> you go to the shops, you grab everything that you need, you do the makeup, um, you, you, you're dressed to your bee's knees. You are ready for this fancy dress party and then your friends come and pick you up and when you see them, they are dressed normally. You're shocked. You're wondering, did I get this wrong? And so you get in the car with them and along the way they're going, why are you dressed like that? And you're thinking to yourself, but it was on the invitation. This is what, it's a fancy dress party. And the whole way in the car trip, you're just thinking to yourself, have I got this all wrong? Have I got this upside down? Did I not read the, in, the instructions on the invitation? And sometimes it can feel like that, that to be Christian, as we are living in this world, we are like in that car and we're looking around and we're going, have I been living my life upside down? This term, we're actually beginning a new series, uh, a new series into the letter of 2 Corinthians. And in many ways, this is what the letter of 2 Corinthians is about. That as we're called to follow Jesus, as we're called to live out a life 
radically obeying Christ, that life will look upside down. And so we're told that somehow in weakness, we see God's strength. That somehow in our suffering, then we'll be able to find true comfort. And somehow this stench of death, that this, uh, the gospel message that we preach, that for some people it will smell like dead, rotting carcasses. And yet actually, this is the fragrance of true life. That somehow things are not as we expect. That when we look around it, it looks upside down, and yet somehow this is the right way up. And you might be feeling this today. Maybe you're sitting here uh, and you look around the world and you go, is God really in control? Is Jesus really the King of kings and the Lord of lords when I look around and it feels so small and insignificant? Maybe as you look at your own life and you think about um, how you're traveling with the Lord, you, you feel powerless, you feel weak. You're wondering to yourself, is this what the Christian life is supposed to look like? Isn't it supposed to be more prosperous? Isn't it supposed to be more abundant? Is this what it actually looks like to live life as a Christian? And 2 Corinthians reminds us that as we look through life, the lens that we must look through it is the cross of Christ. Because only when we look at it through the cross of Christ do we see the, uh, the world the right way up. But before we get into the, to the letter itself, a few comments about the Corinth church. As we go through the letter, we'll notice um, Paul and the Corinthian church which he's writing to have a very, um, let's just say, complicated relationship. <laughs> um, the, the church was first established when Paul visited it on one of his missionary journeys. And if you want to read about it yourself, you can turn to um, Acts chapter 18. That's where you'll hear about how Paul visited the Corinthian church, well, really established the Corinthian church. He stayed there for 18 months preaching and teaching about Jesus. And uh, here's the thing. As we read about the Corinthian church, there are churches, and then there are churches. <laughs> and the Corinthian church is really one of those churches, let's just say it was messy, it was complicated. Uh, if you ever get a chance, have a read of 1 Corinthians, and you'll see the problems that are arising there. Uh, there's sexual immorality, there are leadership spills that would make our Australian government look very normal. Uh, there are disorderly conduct. You know, if you were a minister like myself, this is a church where you're saying, I am glad that this is not my church. I'm very glad to be at Bosley Park. <laughs> I'm glad that I'm just hearing about the Corinthian church over there because that is a complicated and messy and, let's be honest, sinful church. And it provokes two responses in Paul. He is driven to this incredible grief at the sin of the church. But it also prompts him to write this stern and hard letter to them, calling for them to repent. And so you'll notice a few times as we go through the letter of 2 Corinthians, there's a mention of a severe letter, a letter that Paul writes to really shock the Corinthian church to turn away from their sin, to repent and to follow Jesus. But in all this mess, this is one of the perhaps the most surprising things that we see. Look at how he describes the church. Come with me to, if you have the Bibles open, that'd be helpful. But chapter 1, verse 1, look at how he opens the letter. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, 
to the church of God in Corinth, the church of God, together with all his holy people throughout Achaia. See, quite literally, the word there for holy people, you can translate it as saints. To the saints, to the holy people who are there. That somehow, despite all the mess, despite all their sin, they are still part of God's holy people. They are still part of the saints of God. Because the point is that a saint or a holy person is not some super, special, godly, righteous person. But anyone who has been forgiven and made new through repenting and trusting in Jesus. And now Paul writes this letter to them to keep encouraging them. Live for Jesus. Live your life through the lens of the cross. And so after this long introduction, let's have a look at today as Paul writes to them about what it means to understand God's comfort. And as I was reading and preparing for uh, this passage today, really the opening sentences of this Bible, uh, of the, the letter are one of the most amazing and wonderful things that we can hear. So come with me to verse 3, verse 3, where Paul says, Praise be to the God. This is a very Jewish introduction, praise be to the God. But notice the, the Christian touch that he puts. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. So God is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and because we come to God through Christ, He is our Father as well. But perhaps one of the most important things that we see, did you read that? In all our troubles. In all our troubles, God is the one who brings all comfort. Not some comfort, not maybe this comfort. No, in all our troubles, God brings all comfort. That There is not a comfort in the world for the Christian that does not find its source, its origin, in God himself. Just as there is no trouble in the world that the Christian cannot turn to God for. It's not some trouble, it's not some comfort. The promise here that in any and any and every type of trouble that you experience in your life, you can come to God and he will provide you comfort. And the reason why we can share in this comfort is because of our unity in the Lord Jesus Christ. Look with me at verse 5, verse 5, uh, where it says, For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds in Christ. And it's a bit of a confusing sentence, but the, Paul, the point that Paul is trying to make there is that there is a unity between the Christian and the Lord Jesus himself. So much so that to follow Jesus, uh, just as Jesus suffered in the world, to follow Jesus will mean facing persecution and discomforts because of that unity. It doesn't mean that uh, Christians will be facing persecution everywhere and all the time. But it does mean that the pattern of the Christian life, that as we follow Jesus, we will face suffering for the gospel. But but because we share in Christ's suffering, we also share in his comfort. We receive the comforts of the Father. We receive the comforts of the Lord Jesus himself. We know the gift of eternal life. And even as Paul speaks about really his own personal situation here, the suffering that he's going through uh, for proclaiming the gospel, this is an important principle for each one of us who trust in Jesus in this room. That because we know God through Christ, 
He is to us the God of comforts. And that is one of the first and main things that we need to take away from today, that because our Heavenly Father, He is the God of comfort, we are called, we are called to turn to Him in trouble. See, a very human response, is it not, is that when we're facing hardship, when we're struggling in life, what is the human response? We turn inwards and we look at ourselves. I remember um, in the 90s, there was really a great anthem by a, a band called R.E.M., Rem. A few of you might know this, but even if you know, don't know this, you've probably heard of the song where the, the song goes, everybody hurts and everybody cries. You know, you've got it playing in your head right now. And, and so what is the chorus? What are we supposed to do? Hold on. That's what it says. Hold on. Look in yourself. Just hold on. Persevere. Keep going. But that actually is not the Christian response. The Christian is not called to look in themselves, but in our times of trouble, that is a moment for us to look up and look to God. That in our moment of suffering, this is a time to look to the comfort that only God can provide. And this is a big call that for each one of us sitting in this room, if we trust Jesus, that in any kind of trouble, in any kind of trouble, we are called to look to God. So you might be a teenager who is just struggling with the relationships with, uh, at school. You might be that stay-at-home mum who's struggling to control her anger as your kids just keep on doing things that you've told them not to for the millionth time. Maybe you're the person who has lost your job and you're wondering, what does the future hold for me? Perhaps you're the one sitting there right now and you're struggling in your spiritual faith. And you're asking yourself, am I really Christian? Or perhaps you're the person sitting there and you feel the, the pounding of the years and you feel your health deteriorating and you're struggling in that. And in each moment, we are called to look to God, the Father of all comfort. For the Christian in any and all trouble, a biblical faith says, turn to God. In fact, in the past, Christians, they would often pray that in their suffering, they would ask, God, please give me a spiritual vision. Help me to see the way in which your hand is working in the midst of my suffering. And uh, the great Baptist preacher, Charles Spurgeon, I really love this quote. Um, in, in fact, when I was preparing the sermon, my wife said, you're going to use this quote, aren't you? I said, yeah, I am. <laughs> but he had this great quote. Charles Spurgeon, he said, I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me upon the rock of ages. I've learned to kiss that wave of trial. I've learned to kiss that wave of affliction. I've learned to kiss that wave of trouble. Why? Because it throws me, it turns me, it pushes me back towards the God of comfort. And in our day and age, uh, it's not very normal, is it? To talk about suffering. It's not very normal to say that we're not going okay. Uh, in fact, what's the, the, the default greeting when someone says, how are you going? You know, there's that split second in your mind where you go, do I really tell them how I'm really going? And you go, I'm fine. <laughs> but actually, as Christians, we're called to see our weakness. And not only to see our weakness, but to acknowledge our weakness, to acknowledge our troubles. Why? Because in that moment, we are called and we are shown that it turns us back to the God of comforts. Now, as we keep moving, we may be asking this point, well, what are the comforts of God? Like, what does, how does that actually work? And 
We're not told specifically here, but really it comes down to three Ps. It's always Ps for some reason, but um, here are the three Ps. He, he, could give, he gives us his promises. He shows us that our, our future is certain. We are assured. We know our destiny. So he gives us his promises. But also God gives us perseverance. And you may have experienced this yourself where you've gone through the, the valley of darkness and you're wondering, can I make it? Can I make it? And afterwards, after that moment, as you reflect, and usually it is afterwards, it's very hard during that moment, but afterwards, as you look at that time in your life, you go, well, it was never me. It was God, by His Spirit, sustaining me through that part. So God gives us His promises and His perseverance, or His preservation, really. But also, He gives us people. He gives us people. Other Christians who will encourage us, who will spur us on, who will be examples for us to follow, who will say to us, I have enough faith for the both of us. And that's the point of verse 6 and 7. Come with me to verse 6 and 7, where it says, If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same suffering that we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. See, the, the distress that Paul's speaking about here, as I mentioned earlier, is the suffering for the gospel. But what's he saying? Why do we suffer for the gospel? It's, so that it's for your comfort, so we can proclaim the good news, so that we can share the good news of salvation with you. But if we are comforted, it's also bringing you comfort. And the pattern, did you notice? It's the for you. That's the emphasis here. If we are distressed, it's for you. If we are comforted, it's for you. And really, that is the pattern of the Christian life, isn't it? That we move from simply thinking about ourselves and we start thinking about the other person. And we see this in the Apostle Paul, who, whether in the midst of trouble or comfort, says, how will this be used by God for myself? No, for the sake of others. And ultimately, we see this in the Lord Jesus Christ, don't we? Who comes into the world to be served? No, to serve others. And so we're called even now, if you are comforted by God, or even in the midst of your trials and afflictions, we are called to ask the question, how will this be used by God for others? How can I comfort others around me? Now, as I was thinking about this, I think that Christians often end up in two extremes of getting it wrong when it comes to comforting others. Uh, the first is that we're often too quick to speak. <laughs> we're, we're often too quick to uh, come into other people's life and speak comfort into their lives, if I can put it that way. And uh, maybe this is a broad generalization, but I think this is a particular problem for men in general, that if we see others in trouble, we ask ourselves the question, okay, well, how do I go and how do I solve their problems? For some reason, we see, uh, we, we see nails and we have a hammer in our hand all the time. And the, the, really, the way to fix that is that promise in the Bible, well, not the promise, but the way that God's created us, a good rule of thumb is that we have two ears and we've got one mouth, and so we should use it in that order, that often the best way is just to listen to other people and what they're going through. But sometimes we can go down the other extreme, and that is that we think that we have nothing to offer. Sometimes we think that as people are struggling, uh, we, we can sit there, we can listen, but we don't think that we have anything to offer them. But God comforts us so that 
we can comfort others. See, some of the most important things that people have done in my life is to listen to the trouble that I'm going through, but then to pray and to remind me of the promises that are in God. We are able to comfort others when we ourselves are comforted by God. But let's keep moving. As we, as we explore this idea of comfort, one of the important things we need to realize is that the comfort of God is different from being comfortable. <laughs> Did you notice that? So the comfort of God does not mean that he will necessarily make us comfortable. Uh, life doesn't necessarily become easy. The hardships doesn't go away. And this leads us to the next point, the God who delivers See, as we look at Paul's life, it was anything but a walk in a park. Uh, Paul faced trials I think many of us would never have even dreamed of. Come with me to verse 8, verse 8, where it says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles that we're experiencing in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. So here's a picture of Paul going through intense trials for the sake of others knowing Jesus. And did you notice he says, so that we despaired of life itself. I was listening to the radio the other day and uh, the segment that was on, they'll get uh, asking people to call in and say, what's the life quote that you use? You know, what's something that you say to yourself to keep you going through the week or keep you going through the day? And I think one of the Christian life quotes that you might have heard before is this saying, it's, uh, God never gives us more than we can bear. Have you ever heard of that one before? God never gives us more than we can bear. And I think I've probably used that myself as well <laughs> before. But the problem is, it's not true. Paul says, I was given more than I could bear. I despaired of life itself. Yes, God never leads us into a place where we have a temptation, where we will sin. He never gives us more temptation than we can bear. But there are moments in life where perhaps some of you are even there today or you've experienced before where you might even say to yourself, I'm despairing of life itself. For many of us, the illness doesn't go away. For many of us, the trouble continues. Just because we pray to God, everything seems to be continuing in our normal everyday life that we're experiencing. But why is this? Well, we see the purpose in verse 9. Verse 9, where Paul says, Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. See, the purpose of this suffering in Paul's life is that he would be wholly and completely and only dependent on God. And it's fascinating because a couple of times he says in verse 10, he has delivered us from such a deadly peril. He'll deliver us again. I'm confident that God will deliver us. But sometimes the reality is that God doesn't deliver us in the sense that we think. He doesn't remove that suffering in our life. But it's really important because in verse 9, did you notice that we depend on the God who raises the dead? He raises the dead. By the same power that he has raised the Lord Jesus Christ, we know that our future is sure he will raise us in new resurrection body. That is, in other words, the comfort that God is giving us is actually not making our lives comfortable, but giving us endurance, 
fortifying us, strengthening us so that we can endure. In fact, we read about this earlier in verse 6. Did you notice it? In verse 6, it says, if we are comforted, it's for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same suffering that we suffer. You're comforted so that you can endure the suffering, so that you can keep going. In other words, the nature of this comfort is to say, keep going, keep going. And the point that Paul is trying to make here is that authentic ministry is ministry which is completely dependent on God. See, the problem was that there were people in the Corinthian church that as they looked at Paul's ministry, they go, is this really the right way up? Is that what the Christian life really looks like? You've gone through shipwreck, you've gone through imprisonment, you've gone through all these different trials, and you're telling me that this is the power of God? And Paul says, yes. Because in that suffering, we find the comfort of God. So the sign of authentic ministry is not power in the, the worldly sense, but it's power in being driven in our suffering to depend upon God and find comfort in Him. And that's why we're going to be challenged this term. What does success look like as a church? What, what does a thriving Christian life look like for yourself? It's so easy, isn't it, to go, well, a thriving Christian life is easy and nice and everything is working out. But the answer that we find in the letter of 2 Corinthians is so different. And so actually the, the thriving Christian life is that not if, but when we go through suffering, when we go through suffering as being driven to dependence and finding comfort in God himself. And this leads us really to our final point, the place of prayer. Just a small note about this. Look at me at verse 10, verse 10, where it says, On him we have set our hopes that he will continue to deliver us. As you help us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted to us in answer to the prayers of many. There's, there's so much that we could speak about on prayer, but perhaps the most important thing that we can draw from here is that prayer is never in vain. We can plan and we can prepare, but without prayer, we're like a house without a foundation. And I just wonder whether, as we end this section, whether this Little sentence is one of the most challenging things for us. Do we actually believe in prayer, that it works, that it does something? It's so easy to go through life, and especially sometimes in our suffering, just to persevere without ever turning to God and prayer. But he says, here Paul says, no, no, I thank you for your prayers, because it's by your prayers that God responds and delivers me and comforts me. And so just encouragement that we keep being people of prayer. So let's come back to the start. I want to remind us of that illustration again. You're sitting there, you're in the car, and you're dressed in your, your bee's knees, you're in your fancy dress, and all your friends are in that car, and they're looking normal, and you're thinking, you're sweating by this stage, and you're wondering, Is, did I really read the instructions wrong on the invitation? And it feels like maybe I've got things upside down. But here's the thing, brothers and sisters, the moment that you arrive at the party, the moment that you arrive and you see everyone else dressed just like you are in the fancy dress, suddenly 
it all makes sense. Suddenly, life is the right way up. And today, as we look at this idea of what it means to live as a Christian, especially in suffering, sometimes it might feel, is this really the right way? And the encouragement that we get from Paul is that even in our suffering, when we turn to God, the God of all comforts, that really is the right way up. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are the God of all comforts, the Father of all compassion. We thank you that you don't abandon us in our suffering. And Father, uh, perhaps there are different trials and temptations for each one of us sitting in this room. But Father, may we see your sovereign hand uh, by the power that you raise Christ from the dead. May you also deliver each one of us. And may each one of us be completely and wholly dependent upon you in all aspects of life. And we ask this in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen.